me, money was um, working three jobs to try and keep up with the bills kind of thing. That, that's kind of what I brought in uh, to our relationship. Yeah, and, and I was a single mom with three little ones when I met Chris. And um, it's interesting when I look at what's going on now with us giving Thanksgiving baskets and, and Christmas help. I was one of those recipients of that because um, I worked for the church. I was a single mom with three little guys, and um, it's really humbling now to think that um, our Christmas was funded by other people's generosity, and I, I don't forget that. I don't forget that. So needless to say, I came into our marriage with a lot of debt. I, I did. I had our home, so I, I kept our home. But working at the church, um, it, it, I didn't have a whole lot of money. And I look back now and I think only by God did I continue to provide what I did for our kids. Just going to church on Easter and Christmas, you know, I was one of those guys. Uh, totally believed in God. Did not necessarily believe that Jesus was the Savior. The personal relationship was not there. Um, the belief was there. It, it, it was, you know, a solid foundation in that. But, uh, you know, as far as any kind of uh, giving or surrendering finances to, to uh, Jesus and the church and tithing, that was, no, not, not a part of the equation at all. Love the Lord. I always felt like I wanted to give everything that I could to him. Um, but that was one area that I couldn't surrender because of just so much heartbreak and hurt. Mm -hmm. and, and there was so much to that money that I, it's like, Lord, you can have everything. But that part, there was shame and guilt, and, and we clung tightly to that peace and, and couldn't even imagine that God could take that and, and, and do something good with that. We were newer members here at, at OCC. In fact, we were at the East Manslick uh, property, and we were going through a Forward Through Faith campaign. We fell in love here with the people, with with the mission. We could not stop talking about OCC. Yeah. It, it was just so much part of our lives. And, and invited friends here. Just, we were yeah. blown away by how God was moving. At Jenny has controlled the finances, just like paying of the bills. We discuss it, but uh, she does the physical writing of the bills and, and keeping things uh, in line and balanced. And... For me, I was still, I was tighter holding on to that than Jenny. And I remember, you know, Dave, Dave's sermon on, um, you know, tithe first, um, love to have you into this forward through faith, but that is like over and above. We were, you know, six months into the campaign and, and I was wrestling with it internally, you know, the, the concept of the tithe. And, and I, I just, uh, just one day I, I told Jenny to, you know, Let's do this. Let's, let's go ahead. <laughs> Jenny had been tithing our money for three months. <laughs> so, Surprise! <laughs> yeah, and, and we were doing just fine. Seeing God's hand in all of it was really cool. And, and he says, test me in this. And, and, and yeah, we, we were really, it's like, okay, we're testing you in this. And for me, it was a and, trial test. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't, you know, I'm sold in, all in on this thing. It was like... All right, we'll try for a few months, see what happens. And, you know, it, it, and it did evolve into And, and uh, he proved faithful lifelong. time and time again, yeah. Just being able to live more open-handedly and, and sharing what God has blessed us with so we can be a blessing to others. Um, we, 
It feels so good to be generous. It, does. it doesn't have to be forever, but try. You know, um, test God on the tithe. He says it. He says it. In Malachi. Test me on this. Do three months, then try six months, and see if his word isn't true. Start it off as a trial. For us, it became a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand people are in, in tough positions. I know all about making less than payments. You know, I, I'm paying partial payments. I'm skipping a payment. I know all about being in that situation. And 20 years of being faithful, we are overflowing. Mm-hmm. And we are able to bless others. And it just it feels so good. It feels so good. Yeah. There we go. Uh, good morning, OCC. <laughs> you guys, you'd think I'd have that figured out by this point in my career, right? Uh, good to see you guys. Don't you love hearing stories like that? Man, so good. So good. Hey, how many of you enjoy playing games this time of year? It gets cold outside. We got to hunker down inside a little bit more. So you enjoy board games, maybe some card games with the family or friends. Now, how many of you, when you get together and you play those games, you know there's at least one person in the family or one person in your friend circle who is going to regularly bend the rules in their favor. And they're going to bend them so far they even might break them. That person who you know might be the cheater. Now, we know, like if you're that person, because I see people looking at their family members and like I just created like family discord at the beginning of a message. That's what it's going to do. Uh, but you know if you're that person Like, you feel justified when you are arguing the rules and you're arguing the rules in your favor. But we want to use cheater to define us. But what if, what if the word that actually does define us best is cheater? We're cheating in the game. Well, in the time of the prophet Malachi, that was what God revealed. That was the truth God revealed to his people about their behavior. He said, you are cheating me. Malachi chapter 3. We're reading from the New Living Translation. If you have your Bible, you want to follow along, or you have a digital copy, you can follow along there as well. And God says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, the Lord says. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, Lord? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Now, God can say that these tithes and offerings were due to him because he's God. He is maker, creator, sustainer of everything. The psalmist tells us that the entire world is the Lord's and everything in it, including you and me. And God had instructed his people to give back to him a portion of what he had given them in the first place. But God's people weren't always doing this. Now, God had asked them to do that in part to remind them that they are created thing, that they are not fully in charge, but he is. But his people were disobeying. They weren't doing this, and so God called them out on that. And he said, you are cheating me. You're bending the rules so far, you've broken them. And that's not good. And as a result, you're under a curse. And now we could understand that curse as simply meaning we are blocked from blessing. God has a blessing for us, and the disobedience of those people was blocking them from receiving the blessing God wanted them to receive, and so they were under this curse. And I think you and I would both agree that's not a place where any of us would want to be. 
We don't want to be on the outs with God. We don't want to be under a curse. We don't want to be blocked from blessing. We're wrapping up a series today where we've been talking about making change. We've been focused on making some change in our own lives, specifically in the area of how we handle our finances, so that we can be agents of change for God in his world. And so far in this series, we've seen that we need a change of perspective, that we are richer than we realize, and we need a change of priority, that God deserves our first and our best, and we need a change of plans, that we should plan to be generous. And today we'll see that we need a change of heart. But for us to have a change of heart, we really need to see God's heart in this matter. So we're going to go back to this passage. Now, before we do this, I know that sometimes, especially for all of you joining us online, it can be easy to check out once the preacher starts talking about money. It can be easy to say, oh, man, I'm done with this. But I want to invite you, stick with us till the end, stick with us till the end of the message, because we've got a special opportunity and a special challenge for you today, and I want to invite you to stick with it as we go. So we go back to this passage, and I want you to listen for God's heart as we move on. Should people cheat God, yet you've cheated me? He says, he asks, well, what do you mean? How do we cheat you? Well, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. And then God goes on and says this, but bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, God says. Put me to the test. The windows of heaven. I love that phrase. This is a picture of God opening up the window of heaven, the place where there's total satisfaction and total joy and abundance. And he's going to open that window and pour that abundance, that satisfaction, that blessing in our lives, so much so that it overwhelms us and overflows to us and through us, so much so that it cannot be contained, that God's blessing will come our way. He says, your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. I will guard and protect you, watch over you. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. I will provide for everything you need, says the Lord. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight. You will have such a delight in your land that other people will want to be there too. That's the blessing I want to give you. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened in to what they said. I love this, that there's this immediate response of his people. They've been called out for being disobedient, and they immediately respond by getting together and talking about what they should do to make it right. And in God's presence, a stroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared God and always thought about the honor of his name, putting God first in their lives. And God said, those will be my people. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my very own special treasure. My own special treasure, says God. What a beautiful picture. That of all the things we could treasure in this world, God delights in you. That you are his treasure. How does that strike you? I hope that causes you pause. I hope you see God's heart in this, that God views you as his treasure. I hope you see God's heart, that God wants to bless his children, and God knows how to bless his children. He wants to, and he knows how to, 
But sometimes our disobedience blocks us from the blessing of receiving what God would have for us. Now that blessing, blessing that God has for us, it may not come financially. It's probably not going to be measured in dollars and cents, but measured in things even more meaningful than that, of restored and right relationship with God and one another and with ourselves and peace and abundance and satisfaction in so many ways beyond our finances. But God wants to pour out blessing to his people. And if we look at God's track record through history, he's got a pretty good track record of making good on his promises. If we look nowhere else than this, the life of Jesus, we see that in Jesus, God makes good on his promises. And he is trustworthy to provide for everything we need, for everything we need. And so we need to have a change of heart. Because God is worthy of our trust, that means we should trust him completely. Because God is worthy of our trust, we can trust him completely. And that's the change of heart we need to demonstrate a full trust in God. So for the Old Testament Jewish people, this is what that looked like with their finances. They did not stop their giving at the time at 10%. But they went on and they gave a second tithe at their sacred celebrations. And then every three years, they gave another tithe, a third additional tithe, to bless the poor and to take care of the poverty-stricken and those who didn't have. And so a faithful Jewish person would give about 23% of their income regularly to the Lord. Now, don't worry, I'm not calling you to give up that much money today, although some of you already do, and I know some of you even go beyond that, and that is commendable. But I am reminding us that the tithe, as we see it in Scripture, It's the floor, not the ceiling. It's the starting line where we begin, not the finish line, not the goal where we're trying to end up. But the tithe is where we enter into obedience and trust in God. And God uses the tithe to teach us how to trust him. For my my family, for my wife and I, this has convicted us over the years and we've been compelled to give God our first and best, first to the church, 10% or more to the church. And then the other ministries and missions and organizations that we support beyond the church comes from the additional 90% that we would otherwise keep for ourselves. We just think that's in keeping with God's passage here. So we tithe to the church and beyond. And because of that, there are some numbers that burden me. Over the last several decades, giving by U.S. Christians has decreased from 3.5% on average to now just 1.7% of our total income to our churches. So on average, we give about 1.7% of our income to the church. That's down from 3.5%. But worldwide, Christians give 1.8% of their income to their churches. So what this means is that our brothers and sisters in the poorest places on earth People living in abject, destitute poverty are giving more percentage-wise than the typical U.S. Christian. In fact, research has gone on to show that the higher the income, the lower the percentage of giving. The more people make, the less they give by percentage to their church, which is just the opposite of what we would expect, just as the opposite of what it should be. And I'm burdened by that. And I know that some will say, yeah, 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 but... But something is better than nothing. Something's better than nothing. And true, I'm not going to argue that. I'd agree, something is better than nothing. Giving something sometimes is better than giving nothing at no time. (laughs) That's true. 
But something is better than nothing is also the excuse I use when I have a really wimpy workout in the morning. When I spend five minutes on the treadmill instead of 30. When I'm lifting a little bit of weight instead of pushing myself and challenging myself. That's the excuse I use when I wake up late and I sleep in a little bit and I have a crunch schedule and I only get a few minutes in the gym instead of a typical workout routine. Something's better than nothing. And at times, that's okay. At times, something is better than nothing. But if that is my attitude for my daily workout. If that were the attitude for my daily approach to life, something better than nothing, that's not much better. It's rarely gonna benefit me. It's not gonna help me get stronger or healthier or help me grow. And it's no different with our faith than it is with our physical bodies. If I only approach giving as something better than nothing, sometimes I give inconsistently when it's convenient and comfortable. I'm not gonna grow my faith. I'm not gonna strengthen my faith muscle. And I'm gonna block myself from the blessing that God would otherwise pour into my life through those windows of heaven. So I need to exercise activity in my life that forces me, that challenges me to build my faith muscle and grow. And because God is worthy of my trust, I can trust him. Because he is trustworthy, I will trust him completely, even in that area of my life. And I know how scary, how frightening this sounds. A few years back, I was between regular jobs. And I was the primary income earner for my family, for my wife and my three kids. And I found myself without a steady income. And I know the kinds of questions that come our way in those moments. How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to put food on the table? Are we going to have to sell our house and downsize? Are we going to be able to afford a house? What am I going to do for work? Where am I going to go? Am I going to be able to complete the payments for the braces that are already in my kid's mouth? <laughs> what am I going to do here? What about their school? Are we going to have to change schools? All the questions that came and all the uncertainty. And as my wife and I sat down at the front end of that season and discussed our situation, we held firmly to this, that we would continue to trust God to provide for us. We would continue to trust God to provide for all our needs, for our future, and for our family, just like we always had. And so it just seemed silly in the season of life where we needed God to show up as much as we had any other time. In the season of life where we needed to trust him most. In the season of life when our faith was being stretched and challenged as much as it ever had. It just seemed silly that we would stop trusting God with any area of our life, including our finances. We're trusting God to show up and provide for us. Why would we not demonstrate our trust there still? Now, because we had built faith muscle in that area in other seasons of life, it was easier for us. And I won't say it was easy. It was still challenging. There was a whole lot of prayer. There was a whole lot of God. I'm trusting. I'm trusting in you. But because we built that faith muscle and already practiced those things in earlier seasons, then when the tough times came, it was easier to continue on in that and we had seen other difficult times in our marriage. We'd had other challenging seasons. And God had always shown up. And that's what we reflected back on. That our God is the God of abundance. Our God is the God of blessing. Our God is the God who's able. He is always taking care of us. We've never been without what we need. Like he's not going to do it again. This is the God who created us to be in relationship with himself. The God who is father, who's daddy to us. The God who loves us and desires to bless us. Like he's not going to take care of us. And so we trusted him. And we saw him show up again and again 
again and again. Because God is able, because God is worthy of our trust, we'll continue to put our trust in him. I've got a friend who a few years ago, before the whole COVID thing, was having some trouble, some physical issues. And so they'd run some tests and he and his wife showed up to the specialist's office to get the results from their doctor to find out what was going on. And, and when they parked the car in the parking lot, before they got out, he looked at his wife and said, hey, before we go in there, let's decide now how we're gonna respond to whatever news we get. That no matter what, let's choose now what our response will be. And so they together chose gratitude. That no matter what they would hear, they'd be grateful. And when they went into the doctor's office and they got the heartbreaking news that his medical issue is terminal. It's treatable, but it's not curable. They can slow it, but they can't stop it. And that it will take his life. So he began doing the things that you do being guarded and being safe. He, he wears the masks and he began social distancing. He started doing that before it was the thing to do. He'd tell you that 2020 is his year. He is the trend setter. He's the one who put it all in motion. Masks and social distancing were his thing. And he knows he can be precautious and, and, and slow things down, but he also knows that every day he wakes up, he's one day closer and it's only a matter of time before his time runs out. And he'd tell you that the days have not been easy. Some days easier than others. Some days just don't quite think about it. But it's a choosing on the front end how they were going to respond and choosing proactively how they would respond has made it a whole lot easier to navigate the difficult days. The gratitude makes every day better than bitterness would. And so they just wake up every day and they choose gratitude. And I love his principle because he applies it to every other area of his life, that we choose ahead of time how we will respond. And church, I just wonder if we were to take that same approach to life and just narrow it down into this area of our finances, if we were to use that same principle and choose ahead of time to proactively decide how we would approach the future, that as we head towards 2021, there's no guarantee, and I know some of you don't want to hear this, there's no guarantee that 2021 is going to be any better than 2020. Like 2020 started off pretty good. Around here, man, it was great. It was a good year. 2020 was woo, yeah. And then about March, like, whoa, nobody saw this thing coming. And now we know what 2020 has turned into. And we're hoping that 2021 is better, but there's no guarantee that it is. But listen, we as God's people can still choose to walk with obedience and walk with faith and walk with trust no matter what comes ahead. If we decide now, to be generous, no matter what comes, making the decision now makes it a no-brainer later, no matter what happens. If the challenge comes and difficult times come, well, then we know we will still, we will still trust God with our first and best. We'll honor him with that, but we'll give him our first and best, and we will trust him to bless the remainder of it. And if good days happen, an unexpected raise or an unanticipated gift comes our way, then that just gives us more room to be even more generous. Because we'll honor God with our first and best and trust him to bless the rest of it. And if we choose to walk with that kind of faith, and if we choose now, deciding now to give God our first and best, and we decide now to trust him with what remains, then no matter what comes, we'll be able to navigate those waters a whole lot easier because we've already made up our minds to do so. So for some of you, 
That means you gotta have a change of heart. You gotta lean into the God who is trustworthy and then you've gotta determine to trust him completely with everything, including your finances. Now I'm always, I'm always inspired by people who choose immediate obedience to God. I'm always inspired by people who when they see that their life is a few degrees or maybe several degrees out of alignment with God's way and God's word and God's will, that they immediately do what it takes to get back on track with God. I'm always inspired by that because immediate obedience is not necessarily easy, but we know that immediate obedience is what we need to do because delayed obedience is too often disobedience, right? We wanna practice immediate obedience because delayed obedience is too often disobedience. How many of you are parents and you've had teenagers in the home? Maybe you still do have teenagers in the home. Anybody? All right. So we got some people out there. You've had kids. You've raised kids. So you know this to be true. That when you tell your kid, hey, clean your room or help with the laundry or do the dishes or take out the trash, and they say, yeah, I'll get to it later. You know, this is for those of you who have little ones in the home, that as they grow up, here's the code word. I'll get to it later. It translates to, it ain't going to happen. I ain't gonna do it because I'm gonna forget about it. I'm gonna neglect it. I'm gonna do my own thing and I'm not gonna get around to that. It just doesn't happen. The next day comes around, there's dishes still in the sink. Then you got a dishwasher right next to it. Like, what? Come on. The laundry is still not done. The trash still needs taken out. Oops, forgot about that. Delayed obedience is too often disobedience. And we know how that is because we've grown up to do the same thing as adults. God puts something on our heart. He prompts us and we say, oh yeah. Well, God, I need to think that through. I need to take a little time on that. God, I'll get to that someday. I'll get to that when it's a little bit easier, more convenient, when I have a little bit more expendable. And God, I'll, I'll do that later. And what we do is we give ourselves room to let our sinful side convince us to keep going in the path out of alignment with God. Because when we've already gotten out of alignment, it's just so much easier to keep going the direction we're going. It's, it's simple physics. It's the physics of spirituality. To, you know, object in motion continues in motion, right? So we keep going that way unless to make the decision to bring it back. And so when we give ourselves too much time to think through the things that would help us align with God, we too often don't end up aligning with God. And so we need to practice that simple, immediate obedience. So don't delay, don't do that. Demonstrate bold, courageous faith in the moment. I'd say it this way, do the right thing right away when you know what the right thing is to do. Like the gal, who recently during one of our messages left right after church because she felt convinced that God wanted her to offer a blessing to the church. And she knew that Satan wasn't gonna be telling her to give her money to the church. So she went to the ATM and came back during second service to make sure she gave that gift to the church. She didn't wanna give herself time to talk herself out of it. Or the guy who caught me a couple weeks ago right after the service. This service, actually, it was right after the message. The service was still going on. Y'all were still singing. He made a beeline to catch me right after I got off the platform. And he said, hey, feeling a nudge from God to offer a blessing to this church and I want to make good on it immediately. And he blessed the church. And that kind of obedience inspires me, it challenges me, it encourages me. And I wonder, what if? What if we all approached our faith with that same kind of immediate obedience? What if we all approached life with just radical, crazy, in the moment obedience to God? And we demonstrated that regularly in all areas. What if? What might God do through us? So, what have we determined today? That we will choose faith and confidence in a trustworthy God who is able, no matter what. No matter what. 
When we demonstrate that kind of faith, listen to how God responds. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Test me on this, God says. Test me. Challenge me. Put me to the test, God says, and see if I won't bless you. I love that picture. One of the few places in scripture where God actually says, test me, try me, do this, and see what I'll do in response. And he's going to bless. God is not reserved nor cautious about the promises he makes to those who tithe. So what if, what if that means that the tithe is really less of an obligation that we should be trying to escape And it's way more an opportunity for us to embrace and engage. Well, what if the tithe is not something for us to try and get out of and bend the rules on, but it's really an opportunity to embrace and engage? What if the tithe is actually a pathway to blessing? Because that's the picture we have here in Malachi, that the tithe is a pathway to blessing. That if we don't do it, we guard ourselves, we block ourselves from the blessing God wants to give us. And so if we try it, if we testament this, what might God do? Here's why I get so jazzed up about this. I get so excited. Because there's a lot of things we talk about at the church. But of all the things that contend for our heart, of all the idols and all the things that would contend for a place with God. Because God alone wants our hearts, right? God says, give me your heart. But there's all these other things that compete for the place that God alone should have. But all these other things, pleasure and comfort and relationships and on and on and on it goes. So many of those things require money to have it. So money becomes like the top contender because to get those other things, money's got to be in the mix. So money is like the top contender. And when we sacrifice, when we surrender this area of our lives to God, and I've seen this time and time again, I've seen it in my life and in the lives of countless other people, when we surrender this area of our life to God and say, God, here you go, you can have it. I'm a little nervous, but I'm going to try it. Then we begin to see God show up in all the other areas too. We begin seeing idols fall and blessing pour in and satisfaction overwhelm us. That's why I get so excited about this. So because of that, because God is so worthy of our trust, I want to invite you to trust him completely in this area of your life. We're so convinced of God's faithfulness and blessing when we demonstrate our trust in this way that we want you to experience the joy of generosity and the beauty of the blessing that God has for you when you respond with trust. And honestly, I am genuinely surprised by the number of followers of Jesus who have never trusted God and taken him up on his promise in the area of finances in their life. I am continually perplexed by the number of people will invite me to pray with them when they are in the darkest valleys of life. And they expect God to show up and answer prayer, yet they won't trust him with their income. I'm amazed at the people who who want the blessing of heaven and they want to see God at work in their life. And they'll trust him in so many other ways, but they won't trust him with their money. And how is it that we will trust God with our salvation? 
that we will trust the God of heaven to take us there with him someday, to be in his presence forever and ever and ever and ever, and yet we won't trust him with our finances. That kind of math just does not compute with me. And I honestly feel sorry for anyone who has such a crippled confidence in such an able God. And a God who is so able to do immeasurably more than we would ever ask or imagine. The God of heaven who will open up the windows of heaven and pour out abundant blessing on us so much so that we cannot contain it. And to have such a crippled confidence in him. I just feel sorry for that because until you accept this test from God, you'll never know whether he can be trusted or not. Until you accept this test in your life, you'll never know how much God can be trusted. But because he is trustworthy, and I've seen this true in my life and in the lives of so many others, I'm gonna invite you to put God to the test and trust him completely. So when you came in today, for those of you in the room, you received one of these envelopes. We told you, don't look inside, don't open it up. Well, now is the time to open it up and look inside. And when you open it up, you're gonna find this thing that says 90 day tithe challenge. Now, if you're joining us online, then you recently received a text for a digital connect. And on there, there's a button from the 90 day tithe challenge. It's also posted in the chat space online. If you haven't received that, and if you want a digital copy in the room instead of the hard copy, simply text 502-289-1387. You'll get the link to our digital connect. Open that link, push the button for the tithe challenge and what you'll see. Now, you're gonna have a page that explains it and gives the details. You got another page that gives some FAQs on there. That stuff is important, but it's not most important right now. What's most important is this, the actual commitment card. Because here's what this means. Here's the opportunity. We call it a challenge. Really, it's an opportunity for you to challenge God and take him at his word and put him to the test as he invites you to do. The 90-day tithe challenge is simply this. For those of you who already tithe, we want to invite you. You don't have to fill this out if you're already tithing. You keep doing it. If you want to fill this out, if you want to up it, we would invite you to continue that, to keep it going. Keep it up. Maybe even prayerfully step it up. But for all those who have never trusted God in this area, who've never taken them at the challenge, we invite you to take the 90-day tithe challenge. As my buddy Chris said in that video, Try it for 30 days. Now, what's great is Chris had no idea when we were shooting that video that I was gonna be offering this same opportunity to you today. And so he said, just try for 90 days and see what happens. And we wanna make the same offer to you. Try it for 90 days and see what happens. Three months. But here's the deal. At the end of three months, if you have not seen God bless you, if you don't think God has held up his end of the bargain, we're giving you a safety net. It's not a gimmick, just a safety net. So now, we'll give it back. At the end of 90 days, if you have not seen God show up and bless you, no questions, no hassles, no strings attached, no shame, no guilt. Most of us won't even know. There are only a couple people in our finance department. You'll holler at them. You'll say, hey, God hasn't shown up. And we're like, all right. And they will give it all back complete and full. Now, the, the one thing you need to know is that the challenge begins the day you fill this out, you turn it in, we receive it in the office. If you do it today online, you hit that submit button, boom. The challenge will begin today, 90 days from today. The other piece is you gotta give in a way that we can track. You can't come to me in a, you know, three months and be like, hey, Fitz, I gave like half a million dollars to the church. Just not feeling the blessing of God. I want it back. You know, we gotta be able to track that, okay? <laughs> so, you know, uh, that's the only thing. Other than that, 
Like that's all this says. So we believe in this so strongly, so firmly. We have seen God show up in so many ways that we believe at the end of 90 days, you'll have more blessing than you can keep track of. And we're gonna offer some opportunities along the way for you to track the blessing and for you to see what God does in your heart and in your life. So we're just giving you a safety net. And, and you fill this out today, listen, I, I wanna encourage you. Some of you are gonna say, well, I need time to think this over. I need to take this home. I need to read through this. I need to, and in a little bit, I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna give you a, a little bit of time here to sit and think through and pray um, here in the room and online. But I wanna encourage you, Practice immediate obedience. Because you know what happens. You take this home, you put it back in that folder, you'll toss it to the side. In about 90 days, you'll uncover it underneath a bunch of other papers in the room and you'll be like, oh yeah, that thing. If we give ourselves time to think it over too much, we think it out, right? We, we just, we convince ourselves not to be obedient. But if you know God is moving and God is nudging you, respond with obedience to how God is nudging you. You've got nothing to lose. It's money back if he doesn't bless. But here's what I'm convinced of. You trust God in this area. You'll never stop. You'll never stop. You'll end up years down the road like I am right now trying to hold back the tears of all the stories of the way God has blessed you and he used you to bless other people simply by being faithful to him and allowing him to demonstrate how faithful he is to us. So church, here's what this is. This is not just a commitment to offer some money to the church. This is a bold, courageous, radical declaration that we will demonstrate our trust in the living, risen God. That we put our hope, we put our trust We put our faith not in our skills and our incomes and our abilities and our bank accounts and our stuff in this world, but we put our hope, we put our trust, we put our faith, we put everything into the risen and reigning God who went to a cross for us and came out of a grave for us and offers us eternity with him. If he is the God of our salvation, won't he be the God of everything else? That's what this is. That as we enter 2021, it's simply a way for us to say, God, We trust you completely because you are completely worthy of our trust. As you fill it out, if you're here on campus, you can put that in the black box as you leave today. You can turn it into one of our staff if you want. Fill it out online, just hit that submit. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna give you a moment and we're gonna continue to worship the God who is able and the God who is good. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you would invite us to challenge you. And that what we receive on the other end is blessing. We are grateful that you are a God who is good, who is able. And we've seen you so many times in our lives provide for us, provide for this church. That God, we know you are worthy of our trust. And so right now in this moment, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness and the faith to demonstrate our trust in you because you are worthy and you alone are worthy. And so Jesus, we pray this in your name. 
that you would get all the glory, that you would get all the honor, that you would get all the praise, and that as your blessing is bestowed on these people in your church, that it would overflow through us and that you would use us to change the world. God, we trust you. Help us all to trust you even more. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.